and welcome to episode three of Whiskey Talk from the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. I'm Richard Gosselin, editor of the Society's members magazine, Unfiltered. In this episode, we're very fortunate to be able to catch up with Sandy Hislop, the director of blending at Shivas Brothers. Sandy has spent a lifetime working in the whiskey industry and is responsible for some of the most iconic names in the whiskey world, from Shivas Regal to Ballantines and Aberlaurabuna. Sandy invited the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society's spirits manager Ewan Campbell to visit him at his sample room in Dumbarton near Glasgow to find out more about his career and his role as a master blender. Ewan started off by asking Sandy how his whiskey journey started. My whiskey journey began back in 1983 um, in a small whiskey company in Dundee called Stuart's Cream of the Barley. Mm, I started with them as a sample room assistant. Um, the big, the big bonus for my father was that um, I wanted to go to university. I had a place to go to university to study chemistry, and he was dead against it. He was like, "This is just going to be a waste of time. Going to cost me a fortune." <laughs> and he spotted this job yep. in the paper, working in the lab- the sample room laboratory, sample room assistant at Stuart's Cream of the Barley Dundee. And one day a week, he got to go to. Aberdeen and study chemistry day release and he was like that's the job for you get your name down for that because you'll be earning money and you'll get an education mm. and um, it just worked out perfectly and did you have an interest in whiskey at that time or absolutely was, not no yeah, I, was it was only, I was only well I think I started with them when I was 17 um, and uh, just turned 18 in July um, no I had no real exposure to whiskey at all so um, it was more for the chemistry, the qualification? It was more for the chemistry, the for the qualification. In the moment, working for a small company, I was like, God, this is ridiculous, because you're, you're only 100 employees, but you had to cover lots of different jobs. You know, mm. if somebody went, off, somebody went off on maternity leave, or somebody was off ill, or somebody was off on an extended holiday, they'd go get Sandy to cover that, get him to go in and work with them. For, so you were working in vatting, you were working in bottling, you were working in filtration, you were working in inventory, and at the time you were like, this is unbelievable, trying to cover... But when I came down to the big company down here, man alive, I knew so much more than yeah. people who'd been working in a small, in, in one environment in a big company and hadn't been out with the business. You know, and it, it was a, in, in, in retrospect now, it was the best grounding you could ever get. Yeah, sort of in at the deep end, experiencing all areas. Exactly, and the, the, the sort of whole process flow. You know, you weren't, you weren't just limited to the one little department. You were dotting about all over the place and you knew everybody, you knew what was happening, but... Then after about 10 years working with Stuart's Cream of the Barley, due to takeovers, mergers, it's a bit like Pernod Ricard's first whiskey company was Clan Campbell, mm-hmm. and it just grew from there. Allied Domecq, as it was, first whiskey company was Stuart's Cream of the Barley. And then they bought Teachers, and then they went on an acquisition trail where they bought Hiram Walker, they got Ballantines, and the company grew and grew and grew, and I was asked to to start travelling down to Dumbarton one day a week. And the whole proviso was our site manager at Dundee was coming up for retirement and they said that they wanted to, to, to train me to become the site manager, that I was that was going to be my next step. So they said, we want you to go and work with Jack Gowdy, Master Blender, down in Dumbarton one day a week to really hone your organoleptic skills so that you can go back and you'll be able to do everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I used to spend a day, I went to come down on a... Monday, Monday morning, first thing, I used to come down, spend the day with Jack, 
come back up the road and that went on for six months. What, what sort of training would you do to, to hone the skills? Well, it, it, like? it, 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 we still do a lot of the same things that, that, that Jack used to do, like nosing individual casks of all our aged brands. We'd go out to the, go out to the warehouses with Jack every day. We'd go mm. down to with number seven warehouse at Dumbuck was all laid out and all the blend, you know, something like a Valentine's 17-year-old. You'd be bringing casks in from the north, from Williard, from Dumbuck, from all over. And everything would come into Dumbuck. Be laid out, bungs pulled, and we would go and nose every individual cask. He used to always send me out in front of them. That was, on you go. I'll, yeah. I'll be like 12 casks behind you. So you were on the spot all the time. And you used to, anything you're not happy with, anything you've got a comment on, pop the bug in it. Mm-hmm. Pop the bung in the bung hole, and when we're finished, we'll go round them and we'll discuss the ones that you've you've decided are slightly different, or you want to discuss, or you think they're wrong. So um, it was it was on the spot training, but it worked really well. You got in the groove really quickly of what was acceptable, what wasn't. And at the end, myself and him would run round the casks and have a look at them to see, mm. you know, what I thought. And he would he'd say to me sometimes, "Absolutely, you're you're right there, but how are you describing that flavour?" He was really good because he used to always. And I, and I say it to my team now. He always used to make me say, use your own words. Yeah. I'll tell you what I get as that flavour. But you need to tell me what you get because you've had a different life experience. You'll describe flavour slightly differently to me. And he, used to, he said, I'll be listening. I'll be listening to what you say. So mind, if it's the same problem, you've always got to describe it the same way. Then I'll believe that's the way you get it. Mm-hmm. So, and, it and it used to work. It used to work really well. So I used to work with him one day a week. He used to come down and they were really... They were... They, they were the business was really keen that I worked with Jack and not Robert Hicks because Robert Hicks was there as well. They wanted me to focus my time with Jack because Jack was running up to retirement. And they said, we want you to spend time with him, get as much information as you can out of him. After six months, Jack went, you should really be working with us two days a week rather mm-hmm. than one. So at that point, Jack was a man that you never really got, you didn't really get a bit, there wasn't like, oh yeah, and why is it too? He wasn't that kind of guy. And I was thinking, well, either, either I'm not very good at this and he thinks I need to up my game oh, there's a chance of a job here. Mm-hmm. And at the end of a year, and that's the absolute truth, after 12 months, six months working one day, six months working two days, he offered me a job to come and work with him full time. Nice. It's probably the longest interview ever, and the, probably the longest time I've ever had to keep my nose clean, mm. as, in, as in keep out of trouble, you yeah. know. Um, he really, really took the appointing the next trainee blender really really seriously it was something that he even though he was retiring and I think it was about two and a half three years he was coming to retirement at that point Mm -hmm. he really took it seriously it wasn't just somebody who was going to slot in he was going to take his time and make up his (coughs) mind if that was a person he wanted or not and how long have you been with the company now Uh, 36 years yeah so it's a real long-term planning yeah yeah it was and and it works quite well, and I quite like that with some of my team as well. Is the b- being responsible for big worldwide brands, it, it, it can be quite daunting. You know, when someone puts a sample in front of you, sometimes you're looking at a sample, and that sample's perhaps five and a half, ten million pounds worth of spirit. Mm. And I think if you, you you're brought up through the business and you learn the business bit by bit, it's not as daunting. You, because you've become really proficient at doing it yeah. and you're used to it. You know, bringing someone in from outside the business and saying, there's that sample there, that sample's going to make 15,000 cases of Chivas Regal, are you okay with it? 
people are like, oh my God, oh my God, they're, they're absolutely sniffing it to death. I think a natural, gentle evolution of working through a blending team is the way to learn to be good, proficient and confident at what you do. So how, <coughs> how has your career kind of changed since that initial job offer right oh. through <coughs> to, to now? I, 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 my job has my job has been. I absolutely love my job. My job my job is is superb at Shivas Brothers, and it has evolved just the way I would have liked it. I, 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 when Jack retired and Robert Hicks took over as master blender for Valentine's, I then started working with Robert. I worked with him for a few years. Then the takeover from Pernod Ricard came in, and like any any takeover of any business, you end up with two of everybody in it. It can be quite a, a daunting period of time. It's it's a time wherein you have to decide who's going to be taking over which roles, who's going to be running which departments. And I was I was lucky enough at that point in two thousand and five to get the job that was looking after all the brands that fell under Pernod Ricard. And that's that's where the job started evolving even further than the blending role. Mm-hmm. At that point, I took over the the planning and the the vatting instruction department and then a, a little while after that I took over all the cask purchasing department and the managing but all with a, all with an overriding <coughs> quality remit then from that the, the our laboratories and technical centres came into my remit and just when um, David Boyd our head of inventory retired at Christmas I'd taken over the inventory side of the department as well so there's, there's, there's inventory, there's casks, there's laboratory and there's blending but Blending's where my heart is. My office is next door to the sample room. Uh, that, that, that's where my, my roots are firmly placed. But the, the, the evolution of that of that job has just been great for me because being having, for me, been in charge of all these areas, quality is always paramount. You know, the, the guys the guys that run the casks for me, the, my cask manager, knows that he's always looking for the best deal in casks, looking to get the best price, getting to best best price on the sherry cask but he knows as well that I will not accept it not to be the right casks it, it, it has to have an overriding quality yeah. credentials all the time regardless of which area whether it's Fiona that's in charge of the inventory the inventory manager you know she knows that looking looking at how much stock have we got of that year is not just the be all and end all we need to go deeper than that we need to know what kind of casks it is we need to know what fill they are we need to know the quality it's all about it's about numbers, but it's quality rides right over the top. Sure. And then what does a, a typical week look like for you then? Um, it, it, it can be quite varied. Um, I, I try at least twice a month to do... My, my, myself and my team go to Speyside every Monday, Tuesday, and we check all the new distillate from all our distilleries. There is an organoleptic panel sits on a Tuesday in Keith and we test all our new distillates blind against a sensory standard and we get the I, I really like to have that session with the distillery managers there we could easily bring all the samples down here and do it with the sample room team but i like that face-to-face involvement with all the distillery managers so tuesday distillery managers down to kv2 we knows all the spirit we score all the spirit and that that the scores from that spirit roll over into the inventory are fed into fiona's team mm-hmm. And then we have our records before on that new distillate before it's been filled into cask. And that carries with it all the way through. So Absolutely. when you make up a blend, you go, we need some of this. Exactly. You can see, you not only see the make, you not only see the cask type, you don't just see the cask fill, you see the score rating of how close it was to the sensory standard when it was distilled. Hmm. And that's, that's important because through your career as a blender, 
when you first become a blender, you're using the stock that someone else laid down for you. So Jack and Robert laid down stock. Then you have that golden <coughs> period in between where you're actually working with stock that you laid down. Mm -hmm. And now I've reached this point, which I'm not very happy about, to be perfectly <laughs> honest, but I'm, I'm, I'm now laying down stock. I'm leaving the house in good order for the next man. You know, the, the new distillate that I nosed last week in Keith, for royal salute, I'll not see that come out the other end. That will be the next master blender that will deal with that. Don't get me wrong, Ballantyne's finest. The stock that's been laid down for Ballantyne's finest, for Clan Campbell. Oh, God, maybe not even Shivers Regal 12 now. It's all getting a bit sad, actually. <laughs> I'll probably be retired when that stock comes yeah. back out. But it's, it's, and I think it's important. A lot of people don't appreciate that. It, it, it's a team effort from blender to blender to blender. And it's about leave that house in good order for the next man. Make sure that you have laid down the right stock so that they have the flexibility and they have the right tools to be able to make the brands. It's about quality, continuity. Lots of people think that the blender's job is is making new products, making up new formulations. That That is the responsibility of myself and my department. We do handle all the new product development, but I would say that 80% of my job is dealing with the quality and continuity of existing brands. It's about making sure that Ballantyne's Finest, Shivers Regal 12, Royal Salute 21, Glenlivet 12, all these big worldwide brands, that the quality stays the same. There's people that drink these products every week. Hmm. They know that product as well as I do. And if it starts drifting or changing, they'll probably not even complain. They'll just go and buy something else. So we need to make sure that that continuity is there as well as the quality year on year. On the, the new product development, where do you get your inspiration for uh, when you have to create a new malt or blend? It's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a joint effort. It's not all down to the blender. On some occasions, marketing will come to me and say, we see this opportunity in this market. We would really like to launch a product like this. And I would say to them, well, send me all the competitors that are doing really well so I can have a look at them. We'll go and have a look at the inventory because unlike other spirits, it needs to be made with stock that's laid down. So if we're asked to produce a new 12-year-old whiskey, marketing do not tell me 12 years in advance. <laughs> You have to yeah. you have to manage your inventory to be able to say, can we support that? Can we make it? Can we make this new flavour? Can we make that new product whilst still the maintaining all the other well. ones? Yeah. yeah, whilst maintaining all these other existing brands that have fabulous lineage. So it's a it, it it's a balancing act, and that's where looking after casks, looking after inventory, looking after blending, is the proper way to do it. Mm -hmm. to have the whole the three are, are, are completely <coughs> interlinked not every company runs their business like but that's the way it should be yeah so a holistic view needs to be yeah, taken exactly yeah. it's not about it's not all about numbers mm. it's not all about that's how much stock we've got that it's about digging down into the into the detail i love a good spreadsheet snap me too love it love yeah. it love a good spreadsheet with all the breakdown of what we've <laughs> got what cask type it's in where's it lying where's the best i just love it it's like going back to my roots i just yeah. love it yeah. data is power yeah exactly <laughs> yeah yeah well, exactly on the same page as you yeah um so what would you say are the most important attributes for a master blender i think i think you've got to have a good sense of smell i think you've got to have a good memory for smells i think right up there in the top three so you've got to be passionate about Scotch whisky. You've got to really like it. And I'm not just saying that. You've got to... Re not, 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 it, it, it's like enjoy the whole maturation process. I never get bored with it. I never get bored with nosing cask samples. I love it when a big crate of cask samples come in. If we're making something like Aberlauraboona, you know, 
first fill sherry, but every single cask is sampled and brought to the sample room and we make, we make the vatting up in miniature. It's ace. Kind of a hand rubbing, oh my God, I'm looking forward to digging into these. Yeah. It's, it's exactly, yeah. it's ace. There is nothing better than a bench full of samples all set up, all ready to have a nose at. Let's have a look, let's mix them together. No, no, let's take those three out, swap these two over. It's a batch process as well, so there's a little bit of devilment in me that I want them to be slightly different. Mm -hmm. I want I want <coughs> the people that buy a Buna to, to not be getting exactly the same thing. That's the, yeah. it's the converse of continuity. I want it to be slightly different. You end up with hallowed batches that were, are yeah, known for exactly, being... Exactly, yeah, and when they try to go, oh, that's different, and get them talking, going, God, there's a wee bit, I'm getting loads of licorice in that, where I never got as much in the one before. So it's, it is, that, that it's, to answer your question, it's really good fun mm -hmm. being a blender. It's really varied. And you'll know that as well, because you're, you're doing, you're nosing samples, you're getting stuff laid down. It's, there's nothing more exciting than seeing samples coming in of something that's been put in a cast for finishing. Yeah. How's it getting on? Let's look at it against the, let's get the control out before we started. Let's see how it's moved. Let's see how it's getting on. You know, and I think we're really, really lucky in the blending team as well because we get to interact with the whole business. You know, bottling halls looking for us for things, vatting's looking for us for filtration, warehousing. We're involved we're involved everywhere and I'm really lucky I don't have a high turnover of staff because and I'm absolutely convinced that's down to the area and the job's really interesting. Hmm. There's always stuff happening. We're right at the forefront of new products. We're dealing with them before they've hit the market. We're laying down stocks. We're doing experiments. We're helping the, the you know, we've, we've got this huge um, new bottling hall that's been built down here. We're, we're heavily involved in making sure that the, the, there's no taint from the pipeworks, the gaskets, mm. anything that's getting put in. It, it, the people don't think that. They think that we're just doing all sorts of glamour stuff, but we're, we're heavily involved with the engineering teams making sure that the CIP works correctly. We've got a plant here that runs flavoured gins, gin, whiskey, all these different products. Boy, we need to be good at washing out and making sure, you know... It's not all glam in the sample room. You're getting water samples coming in from the bottling hall to make sure the changeover's right, to make sure it's clean. But you, I think you feel like you're an integral part of what's going on here in mm. the blending team. Great. Um, so you must have known thousands of casks over your career. Indeed. Is there any parcel or you know particular cask that you just remember as being absolutely outstanding you know closed I've, distillery I've been, or i've been really lucky because when we when we we blend something like valentine's 30 year old we still do it the same way it would have been done in 1930 mm -hmm. you know we sample all the casks we bring them up to the sample room we nose them we put them together in different formulations we make sure that we're getting in it's it's an absolute treat you've got an ab a bench full of of whiskies between 30 and 40 years old to your point Many of them from closed distilleries, from from a t from a, a very different time. Some of the casks can really surprise you, and it, it, there's nothing. We're many different companies brought together here at mm -hmm. Shivers Brothers. So thirty years ago, it was probably about seven different companies that all had different cask filling policies. That all used different inventory. So you're pulling together a lot of different makes that you that you don't see all the time, and it's always really interesting. There's nothing more exciting than. You're doing you're doing a, some casks, and all of a sudden you stumble across a cask of Glen Talkers that's on as a that's on the system as a second fill butt, and you actually find it's an absolute first fill, and it's an absolute mm -hmm. belt, and everybody's like, "Whoa, get a load of this! <laughs> it's absolutely amazing!" You know, and there are there are some wee surprises in there that are always really, and I'll be like, "We'll, we'll, we'll lay that aside. We'll keep that for a special bottling." 
So the recipe can can vary completely in its components, but you're just striving to something hit the like same something flavor. like Valentine's thirty year old you're building up from scratch. That's where the blender earns their money. Yeah, and and how many times a year are you creating a batch of something? Two, like three that? times a year. Yeah. Two, three times a year we're doing a batch of Valentine's thirty year old. But you're right, you're absolutely spot on. It's old school because it's so many. I could spin you a big yarn about oh yeah we do this we do that, but thirty years ago it was five, six, seven different companies all doing their own thing and all that stock's been brought together yeah. and we're now having to manage that so that we can produce quality continuity all the time but I, I, I'm very very lucky the company lets me lets me do what I need to do to get the flavour right you know we, we have a Solera for, for Ballantine's 30 year old that we fill back to cask every time we make a new batch we'll make a new batch we'll take the Solera from the last batch put it on top mix it take the Solera back out again for the next batch. Hmm. Now, that, that batch of, of casks is never, ever, ever used because we need it for continuity. It's like you get your blend right, you're happy with your blend against your previous blend, but you've also got that added level of guarantee of quality that you put that Solera in on top every time, mix it, take it off for the next one. So technically, you've got that, that big pocket of 30-year-old whiskey that you can never sell because mm -hmm. you need it for your Solera. Not every company would commit themselves to doing something like that at something at a super age, but we believe it's important to manage the quality year on year. Yeah. And what kind of advice would you give to our newer members on how to appreciate whiskey? I, I absolutely believe that someone who's starting to get into whiskey and is enjoying whiskey should always do a bit of experimentation themselves. Don't, don't, don't let people browbeat you until you've got to drink it neat or you've got to drink it you've got to drink it with so many mills of water from a pipette if you like it if you like it <coughs> with, a, with, a, with a good bit of water in it try it with a good I, I will if I'm drinking something that's calf strength I will always add half as much water in again just the way I like it probably way too much for other people but I find it better I find that adding the water to the sample gives you that wee exothermic reaction. You get a bit of heat coming into the sample, and I'm, I'm, I'm a total bore about water. I cannot abide chilled water. It's got mm -hmm. to be room temperature water. It'll abs if you want the best chance to get the flavours and enjoy the whiskey, it's got to be room temperature. Can't be this chilled. On the flip side of that, I will put ice in now and again. For a different but experience. It, it, yeah. it, you're spot on, exactly. Yeah. And it's got to be a big block of ice. I don't like this tons of little bits of crushed ice where you've got that massive surface area. It melts really quickly. I like I like a big big bit of ice and the big bit of ice it it melts it melts slowly. And in a bizarre sort of way, you get almost like an increase in temperature because of that face, that big face of that ice melting against the whiskey but melting really slowly yeah and as you it thaws it's changing the dram yeah, evolves yeah, the whole yeah. way through uh, yeah. you're spot on you, you've got it absolutely so what the answer to your question is people should try it the way that they should take the time to try it different ways and to and to to, to try them against each other if you've got a bottle of a bottle of Glenlivet, 12 year old try it with a little bit of water then get another glass and put some more water in it I I I think it's invaluable to have that little session yourself. Yeah, side by side comparison yeah, as yeah, well. They're like yeah, two different products, yeah, but it's the so same many bottle. Yeah. You're spot on. So many times people people go back and go, God, the last time I tried it, I tried it neat. Yeah, and I, I don't know. Yeah, that is that is better. Get them beside each other. 
Get a glass that's neat, get a glass with a splash of water, get a glass with water half as much again. Try them, try them against each other. Get yourself your reference. Have your, have your gold standard there that you can compare it against and get, get to where you want. There's, there's, there's <coughs> lots of stuff written about how you should drink Scotch whisky. Absolutely, you've got to learn for yourself. But do it yourself, get yourself. I absolutely love Valentine's 12-year-old as a, as a highball with, 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 with ice and soda. Mm-hmm. I love it. Tall glass. Valentine's 12 works really well. There's loads of American oak maturation in it, first fill. It, it really comes through when you mix it. It doesn't fall over when you add loads of soda to it. So you've got soda, you've got ice in that drink. Really refreshing, and it's probably working out at about 6% volume. Mm-hmm. So you're drinking it, and it's it it, it 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 it's 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 getting into the level of sort of like a strong beer. So it's really refreshing. It's really nice on a on a on a a warm evening. I love it. I love it. Something that if I'm out for a few, I'll have. In fact, I've got some of my chums converted to it now. Mm-hmm. They're really they're all into it. It was the, the the Japanese that have turned it around hugely. They have knocked spots off the beer market by introducing the whiskey highball. Yeah, I've seen uh, whisk highballs on tap. Yeah, at the airport Japan, you can get it. Yeah. yeah, at the airport you can just get it on on draft. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I also discovered a bit of a revelation when I was visiting cognac was a cognac and tonic. Uh-huh. You use the VSOP and top yeah. up with tonic. Yeah. Do you have an appreciation for other spirits besides whiskey? Yeah, yeah. I, I have. It's part of my remit. I'm looking after some of the botanical selection, and I'm heavily involved with the gin team at. Um, beef eater in Kennington and from a new product development point of view um, uh, our uh, beef eater pink and we're just about we're just we had our first bottling yesterday of um, beef eater blood orange mm. um, so we're yes and, 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 I, and I, I'm really keen to get the blenders involved in that as well with the lab team I, I think it broadens your horizons on flavours it's good to try different flavours it's good to be involved and in all the blending team get involved in the um, the juniper selection we have what it's affectionately known as the big juniper sniff that we have in um, in November every year where we get all the juniper samples in from all the suppliers and we go through them all and we grade what we're going to buy for the next year so Desmond Payne our master distiller he comes up from that Sean Harrison looks after Plymouth Gin he comes up and all the blending team some of the lab team we all get together and we do it as a so it's a nosing a practice on the, the dried botanicals or is what, there what any do, tasting no, you elements? distill you distill oh, the juniper course, berries yeah, in GNS and then you can then nose them against where you are standard-wise for last year. It's so the answer to your question is gin is very interesting for me as well. There's a lot <coughs> of things you can do. The big advantage of gin is if your sales go up, you can turn the tap up and make mm. more tomorrow. Whiskey's no, not so no easy. No laying down the gin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so whiskey's, whiskey's not so easy. You know, I'm forever saying to marketing, you know, when you want this new 12-year-old, technically you should have asked me 12 years ago for this. Mm. Um, so if you're having a, a nightcap this evening, what's in your glass? What do I have opened at the moment? What do I have opened at the moment? I have a bottle of the Glenburgie 15-year-old um, Valentine's Single Malt open at the moment, which I've been I've been really enjoying. It's lovely. Um, I really like Scapa. I think Scapa is a good, a lovely whiskey. Nice and it's nice and delicate. It's not too, not too strong, not too powerful. Um, I can't, Valentine's 12, Valentine's 17, great whiskies. I, 
It's a really difficult question because mm. it depends on... You'll be the same yourself. You're asking a question you probably know the answer to. Depends on your mood. Depends how your day goes. Exactly, exactly. You know, and I, I, I love it. The Chivas, the Chivas XV, the, the, the one that's selectively finished in cognac casks. I, I, I love that. I love that. It's really rich. It's, it's almost like a celebratory Friday dram. Mm-hmm. You know, Friday night, I'm going to have a Chivas XV because it's just like... And, and it's got so much flavour, you're, you're not in a rush to drink it. It, 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 it's subconsciously and I, I've noticed it when I'm drinking Chivas XV you have a sip of it you pour yourself a glass and it takes you ages to drink it because of the length of finish on it it just takes so long to dissipate on the palate subconsciously you're not going back mm-hmm. for another for another drink you know you're not subconsciously whenever the flavour dissipates on the palate you tend to reach back and have another sip it's just that length of finish on it it's just amazing a long finish leads to temperance almost <laughs> absolutely yeah. Yeah. A bit of consideration in what you're drinking is important. Yeah, yeah. and it's and it's subconscious. You don't you don't realise you're doing it. You don't realise you're doing it. You could almost you could do a, I am convinced you could do a study on people of giving them different whiskies and not saying anything to them and just monitoring how long it takes them to drink the glass. Mm. And yeah. you, you know, and comparing different products, you would say, now let's now let's do a breakdown of what made up that product, what kind of casks were used, what filler casks were used in that. And it, 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 it's, I'm sure it would be directly related to the drinking experience. Yeah, because we always talk about PPMs and things like that. It'd be yeah. interesting to come up with a yeah. minutes per dram. Yeah, yeah, but not tell people <laughs> so that they're not yeah. they're not thinking about how long they're doing it. You know, just monitor people within a group. I would love to do that experiment. Yeah, yeah. We'll leave that there with Ewan and Sandy thinking about their MPD or minutes per dram experiment. But we'll be back before too long with more Whiskey Characters in the next episode of Whiskey Talk. In the meantime, if you want to find out more about the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society and what we're all about, be sure to visit smws.com. Until the next time on Whiskey Talk, cheers. Cheers.